Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Ria. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you this morning. Back in 1998, I headed towards North Central University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It was a Christian college that I was going to go study and learn how to become a pastor and do ministry and different things. And before I could go to that college, we had to sign what was called a code of conduct. This is how we were going to live our lives. And there was an exhaustive set of do's and don'ts that we had to sign before we could attend this university. And if you broke the rules, depending on the severity of it, you would either get fined or in some cases even expelled from the university. Some of the rules that were in this code of conduct were things like this. No VCRs. Remember VCRs? That's what we had back in 1998. No VCRs or internet access in the dorm rooms. You couldn't see any R-rated movies. You had to attend church on Sundays and let the school know exactly what church it was and how you would be serving that church. You could not drink alcohol or smoke any tobacco products. Guys were not allowed in the girls' dorms and girls were not allowed in the guys' dorms. You could not go to any restaurant that had a DJ or could be considered a nightclub. These are all the rules that we were in there. You had to attend all five chapel services Monday through Friday that the school put on. And you had a midnight curfew. And the way they enforced this is they literally locked the door of your dorm room so your key card wouldn't work when you tried to get in. And then you had to walk over to the security office. They would see how late you were. And depending how late you were, you had late minutes. And if you paid by the minute for how late you were, and that was your fine, and then they would walk you over to your dorm room, open it up, and you'd go in. So it was pretty strict on the rules. And of course, when you're in college with a bunch of 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds, people find a way around the rules, right? We had a couple things that some people did. I'm going to plead the fifth on this one. So when you had to attend chapel, how, what they did is, as soon as you got into the chapel, there was different stations where you would sign in that you were there that day. And so we would sign in and then leave and either go back and sleep because we were up all night playing video games or go get breakfast or go do something like that. Not all the time, but sometimes some people would do this. They caught on to this, though, and so literally every once in a while, they would send the resident advisors, the RAs, into the dorm rooms during chapel with the list of who had signed in to see if anyone was walking the halls or in their bed sleeping, and if you were, you got fined for that. There was a curfew rule for midnight, so we had a little way around this one, too. 
you would call a friend up in your dorm and you'd say, hey, come downstairs and open the door. Now, you had to be very discreet here because there were cameras. They were filming you to make sure you didn't do this. So what we have to do is put our shirts over our heads. Like I said, maybe not me, but what people did (laughs) is they'd put their shirts over their heads, put on a hat, and they'd open up the door and run up the stairs really fast to avoid getting caught. The majority of students broke at least a few of these rules because there were so many of them. And no matter what the school tried to do to enforce the rules, they still got broken from time to time. And the dean of students would get up sometimes and he'd say, listen, how are you guys going to go into ministry if you can't get into your dorm room by midnight? He'd chastise us and he'd get upset and you're called to be better than this. And and you'd get all these speeches and he wasn't necessarily wrong, but you know, at 18, 19, 20 years old, you didn't really want to come home and feel like you had a curfew when you were away at college. But then one day, the president of our college got up to speak. And this was a man that I really admired and looked up to, amazing man of God, amazing leader. And he got up to speak and the rumors were he had had enough of the rule breaking and he was going to chastise us yet again for not living up to our full potential. So he began to speak, and everyone was on edge as he began to talk. But all of a sudden, he did something. Try that. (laughs) Yep. Okay. As he began to speak that day, he began to use different terminology that I'd ever heard in college. He began to tell us things like, do you guys know who you are? He began to use terminology like, you are a royal priesthood. You are a people belonging to God. You are sons and daughters of the living God. And I am so proud to have all of you here attending this university. I know that God has you here during this time, that he set you apart, that he loves you, that he's called you, that he's gonna use you to do great things in the future, that he has such good plans for you. He just began to speak life into our identity. And then he did something we never thought he would do. He said, as of this moment, as of today, I'm lifting every rule off of you guys. You are no longer going to be held to any code of conduct because I trust you. And I want you to trust yourselves. And I want you to understand that your future and the choices you make are going to have consequences, either good or bad, but that's on you. And you need to walk in the calling that you feel God has set you apart to walk in. And now, it's up to you. 
It was a powerful, defining moment for the student body. He lifted the rules. It was like something just lifted off of this whole student body. And don't get me wrong, he wasn't saying, listen, go do whatever you want and there'll be no consequences. But what he did is he was saying, I believe in the morality behind the rules, but the responsibility shifted. And now it's on you to walk and live according to God's ways and according to God's standards. We became responsible for our own actions, not because a parent or a school was telling us to, but because it was in our heart to know our God, to walk with him, to follow his ways, and to follow his word. We're studying here the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to read a portion of scripture to you in Matthew 5, 17. And Jesus is in a similar situation as I just described with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in this portion of scripture, so we're going to dive into it. Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Powerful language there. Can I get the handheld mic? So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is harsh language. And at first glance... A lot of people misinterpret, I think, what the heart behind this passage of Scripture and what the context behind it is. So I want to unpack it a little bit this morning. First of all, you've got to understand that this, when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, this is pre him dying on the cross, rising from the dead, new covenant type thing. He's talking to a group of Romans and Jewish people, and for the most part, Jewish people had been taught their entire lives, all they had to do was get circumcised, follow the law of Moses, and believe in the prophetic writings of the Old Testament. And if you did those things, you would be in right standing with God. If you followed the rules, you'd be in right standing with God, and he would bless you. If you broke a law or broke a rule, something had to pay the price. It led to a lot of people trying to follow the law, but hey, if I don't, I saw kind of some little sheep over there, and I'll grab them, and I'll sacrifice that to take the place and atone for my sin. But if you did not make atonement for your sin, 
God would punish you. This is how the Jewish people were raised, and this is how they lived their lives. A lot of rule following and law following in an attempt to be holy. A lot of religious duty. And there were very few people who actually had a heart for God, who loved him, who worshiped him just for who he was, who actually loved their neighbor like themselves. Very few people cared for others growing up in this old covenant. But the morality behind the law was good. If you remember in the law of Moses, uh, Moses gives the people Ten Commandments that he received from the Lord. I want to look at some of these commandments with you this morning. The first one, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. This was a command in the law of Moses that they were supposed to follow. It's a good one. I'm the one true God. Worship me. Number two, you shall not make idols. It kind of goes with the same thing. They lived in a time where all the nations around them would worship man-made things. They'd make objects. They'd make things out of gold, the sun, the moon. Whatever they could find, they would worship it. And God's saying, you don't need to do that. Worship me. The third command was, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, a lot of people think this just means you shouldn't say a swear word, GD. You know, that's, that's not what this means. I don't know if they had that back then. This literally means if you're going to follow God's ways and call yourself a follower of God, you got to live up to it. Like, don't call yourself a follower of God if you're not going to follow his ways because then you're taking his name in vain. Number four means remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Look, you got six days to work, rest, and go to church on the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. It's good advice. They brought you into this world. Show some honor to them. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shouldn't lie. It gets you into trouble. Just ask Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. I'll just leave it there. (laughs) You shall not covet. These are commands. You shouldn't want what other people have if it's not yours. Celebrate that. They have it and work hard for what you want in this world. So these rules that God gave to the Israelites in the law of Moses was to keep them safe. It was to protect them. Think about that. Rules can make people feel safe. And you got to remember, the Israelites were coming out of Egypt. They didn't have their own law. They didn't have their own rules. They were in slavery and in bondage. And people just told them what to do. So now that they're out in the desert, establishing who they are as a nation, God's saying, listen, if you're going to live as a community, here's some laws, here's some rules to follow so that you guys have a safe culture, so that you guys have a good place to live. Much like we have laws in our country, you know? Violence is a crime. It's a good thing, right? You feel safer walking down the street knowing that violence is a crime. And someone, if they attempt to hurt you or to harm you, 
is going to be punished. So that will prevent the majority of people from doing something like that. Not all, but the majority. That makes you feel safe. Breaking into someone's home is a crime. You can sleep a little better at night knowing, hey, that's a crime for someone to break into my house. So they're not going to do that, the majority of people. Now, some people will, but the majority won't. See, God wants people to feel safe. He wanted his people to feel safe. And there was nothing wrong with the morality behind this law. It was good. But what human beings do is they take it to the next level. And this is what the religious leaders and Pharisees did. They turned these Ten Commandments that God gave And they upped it to 613 commandments, 248 things Jewish people needed to do, and 365 things Jewish people couldn't do. And they had to know all of this. This is what Ralph Harris says about this in his commentary on this portion of Scripture. He says, the scribes, And Pharisees substituted their own traditions, commandments of men, for the word as God gave it. In other words, they sought evasions and loopholes by which they could do their their own will instead of God's. Those who have a righteousness based on traditional or legalistic rules or on the letter of the law have a righteousness that is too low. Jesus said his followers should do better than the Pharisees. See, when you have a righteousness that's purely based on a law or a rule, I follow the rule, that's not really a righteousness that God had intended for his people to have. Jesus said, you've set the bar too low. If all you want to do is follow rules, that's really not how you become righteous in God's sight. Jesus said you've got to do better than the Pharisees. So what does that mean? There's two ways to do better than the Pharisees when it comes to a righteousness and being right in God's sight. Number one is we focus on the condition of our heart instead of the letter of the law. That's next week. Come on back. I'm speaking on that next week, that point. All right. Then this week is we have to understand where our righteousness comes from. Where does it come from? Does it come from a set of rules? Does it come from obeying the Ten Commandments? Does it come from following laws? Or does it come from somewhere else? You see, Jesus came onto the scene and he was being accused of not caring about the law. The Pharisees and the teacher of the law, they said, we have been following these laws for years. And they accused him of not caring about the law. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with the law. I'm not here to abolish it, but I am here because I'm the messianic prophetic fulfillment of that law. Everything that law represents, 
every prophet who got up in front of the people, I am here to fulfill what they said. You see, these laws point to your need for me. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm the way, the truth, the life. I'm the key to accessing the Father, not following a written code, me. I'm the fulfillment of the written code. I'm the way you get to God. I'm the key to making you righteous in his sight. I'm the key that gets you back to relationship with the Father. I'm the fulfillment of the law. I'm the purpose of it. I'm the prophetic prophecy come true. That's who I am. And no longer do you have to feel safe just because you have a set of moral values. You can feel safe because you're literally going to be adopted into the kingdom of heaven. God's son, God's daughter, he's going to be for you. He's going to be behind you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You're going to get the promise of the Holy Spirit. God is going to redeem you. He's going to redeem your past, your present. He's going to save you. He's going to put the Holy Spirit in you. He's going to be your God that you can go directly to now. You can walk with the Father again. This was an incredible time. The fulfillment of prophecy happening. Jeremiah 31, 31 verse 34 says this, talking about this moment. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor, their, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord for everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins." Man, that's powerful. I will never again remember their sins. Now God is saying, listen, there's a day coming when it's a new covenant coming where just as sin separated you from me, I'm going to send my son to redeem this situation. He will be the sacrifice, the final sacrifice for your sin. And there will be nothing hindering our relationship. And anyone who wants to come to me can come to me through Christ. Anyone. You won't have to go tell everybody to follow these rules. You won't have to explain the whole thing to them. Anyone who wants access to me can come directly to me. It's powerful promise. 
Ezekiel 11, 19 says this is another prophecy. It says, and I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. Stony, stubborn heart. See, when all we have is rules and law, there's no heart transformation. If I, I can follow a rule all day, I can go 45 in a 45. That doesn't change my heart. But when you understand what God did for us to redeem us from all of our sin, mistakes, past, shame, guilt, and to not only forgive us, but then to have relationship leading, guiding us, giving us supernatural peace, walking with us, and then giving us an eternity in heaven. That's amazing news. That leads to a softened heart. That good news, that love can literally change and transform our hearts. And that's where we need to get to. Those Pharisees and teachers of the law, the people who got up and preached every Sunday, the people who, who walked with God, who taught the people, their hearts were cold. I'm going to talk more about it next week. But Jesus said, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. It's cold. It's angry. And church, that's what we see a lot. Anger. And coldness and, and, and brokenness in people's hearts. But our hearts as Christ's followers should be different than the world. Because it's not just about a rule or a law. It's about a relationship. And relationship changes our hearts. I'm not taking away anything from the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. The Ten Commandments, they're good. They're a great moral compass. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to write the laws and my ways on your heart. And I'm going to trust you to walk with me. You know where your righteousness comes from? It doesn't come from following a set of rules. It comes from Christ alone. And I'm going to show it to you. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, this is Paul writing. This is after the resurrection. This is the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. This is after all of that. He writes this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And as he committed to us the message of reconciliation. I'm about to nerd out for a minute with a little Bible college term called reconciliation. That's a theological term, okay? What it means, it refers to the element of salvation that refers to the results of atonement. 
Reconciliation is the end of the estrangement caused by the original sin between God and humanity. God used Christ to reconcile us back to relationship with him. Just as in the garden, Adam's sin separated us from God, Christ's death and resurrection reconciled us back to the Father. One man's action separates, another reconciles and redeems. Verse 20 goes on to say, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Most powerful scripture, one of the most powerful scriptures coming up in verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in who? In Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We are righteous because of Christ. That's the first thing we've got to know. When Jesus said, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees, I believe it was two parts. Number one, they didn't believe in who he was. Therefore, they could not get into right standing with God. Number two, they followed the letter, but their hearts were far from God. And we're going to dive into that next week. You see, as a Christian... We're righteous purely because of what Christ did for us. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have a moral responsibility to live our lives a certain way. I believe we should. In a response to the righteousness that God put on us, we then in turn walk with him. Just like when the president of my university lifted the rules. He wasn't saying there's no more rules, there's no more morality in this school. He was saying, I trust you knowing who you are to walk and live up to your calling. And that's what God is calling his people to do. To respond to the righteousness that we have through Christ and to walk it out every single day. It's a response. See, the problem is we're human beings. And just because we become followers of Christ doesn't mean we're not human beings anymore. We still are going to make mistakes. We still are going to fall short. We're going to do things we don't want to do from time to time. We're going to say things we regret. And that's why we continually need to remember that our righteousness is from Christ. And just because we fail, we're not failures. We're still righteous sons and daughters of the King because He redeems us. <laughs> Romans 7.14 says this. So the trouble is not with the law, for it's spiritual and good. The trouble's with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. We're human beings. And God knew that. He created us. He knew it was going to be hard for us to always do the right thing, make the right choice all, all the time. 
It doesn't, that doesn't mean he doesn't want us to. He wants the best life for us. And I got to be honest, we can be really good at making a mess out of our lives. We make choices that have consequences and we can be really good. And God's saying, listen, you don't have to. But if you do, I'm going to redeem you. You're still going to be righteous because you're part of my family and your righteousness is not based on rules. It's based on Jesus. And you got you to gotta think like that's, that's every relationship, right? When I got married to my wife, we didn't sit there and say, okay, every single day, here's the 10 things that you cannot do now that you're married to me. And here's the 10 things that you, you have to do now that you're married to me. We didn't say that. What we said is, I commit my life to you in sickness, in health, for richer, for poorer. If I could go back, I would say something like this. <laughs> I'm going to mess up. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to say things I wish I didn't. We're going to have great times and we're going to have some times where you're probably not going to like me very much. And I'm sorry. But no matter what, I want to do this life with you. That's kind of what God's saying to us. I want to do this life with you. I want to do life with you. I wanted it from the beginning. And it's possible now through Christ, and it's possible to anyone who accepts that message. God wants to do life with us. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. He wants to speak to us, and he wants to speak through us. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much personally, that my righteousness is not based on myself. I thank you that my righteousness is based on you. I thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed us, forgiven us, cleansed us, put your spirit in us, adopted us into your family, and that you want relationship with every single one of us. God, today I pray for the person in this room who's having a hard time accepting that message because of guilt or shame or legalism or traditionalism. I just pray, Father, you would reveal to them who you really are, the love and the redemption that is found purely in knowing you and accepting you into, your, into their life. Thank you, God, for walking with me. Thank you for leading me. Thank you for doing everything you're doing in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.